Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Who is the greatest quarterback in the history of the Detroit Lions? Some would say Matthew Stafford, and that is a perfectly reasonable stance to take. I'm going to make a case for another player today, and it's probably not the person you're thinking of immediately. See you after the jump. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. This Lions star played in the NFL for seven seasons, and he was an all-pro quarterback in six of them. He led the NFL in scoring three times. He had a season where he was 17% higher than the league average in completion percentage. And he finished his career with an astronomical 11 touchdown passes. I am, of course, referring to Lions Great and member of the inaugural Pro Football Hall of Fame class, Dutch Clark. Now, before joining the Portsmouth Spartans, Dutch was an All-American in college, despite the fact that he played for Colorado College. Now, that is not the University of Colorado Buffaloes. That is the Colorado College Tigers. The thing that makes that particularly remarkable for our younger viewers is that this was not just before the internet. This was before television. So most of the people voting for him could not have picked Dutch Clark out of a very small crowd. In that era, if something happened in another state, chances are you would just never hear about it. How did you know it was happening anywhere? the, The answer for most things is that you just didn't. Unless it made the newspaper, or someone talked about it on the radio, you would just never hear that it happened. So, in that anti-information age, how does a guy from Colorado College get noticed? Well, we need to remember that this was a different era of football. The forward pass was this insane last-ditch effort to get a first-down thing, and the vast majority of plays were running plays. Dutch Clark ran for 1,349 yards on 135 carries in 1928 for the Colorado College Tigers. He scored 103 of the team's 203 points on the season. Colorado College is a purely academic school. It's a a D3 level sports private college. They don't even have a football program anymore. 10 yards per carry 
in an era where the NCAA was, well, I guess actually exactly what they are now, an organization determined to ensure that the exploitation of young people to the benefit of rich older people continues. But it was a less systematically entrenched organization in the 1920s. Moving on. After a senior season, Dutch actually took two years off from football because at that time, professional football wasn't really a legitimate career option. He was the head basketball coach at Colorado College for two seasons and worked as an assistant on the football staff during his basketball offseason. Man, we are definitely talking about a very different time. In 1931, he joined the Portsmouth Spartans for two great seasons before he quit. Uh, You see, during those first two seasons, like I said, the NFL at this period of history was not a legitimate career choice. Uh, He was still the head coach of the Colorado College basketball team. In 1931, he led the NFL in scoring, was the first-team All-Pro quarterback, and all of that was despite leaving the team early because he had to go back to Colorado College to resume his coaching responsibilities, his real job. In 1932, he had a similar season, leading the league in points, selected as the All-Pro quarterback, And he was called the greatest football player in the last 10 years. So, of course, he then retired. You see, he had a better career opportunity. He went and became the coach of the football team for the Colorado School of Mines, who do still have a football team, Go War Diggers. I guess he got homesick. Or he just really liked the ore diggers' colors, which were silver and blue, as opposed to the Portsmouth Spartans' red. In 1932, Dutch Clark returned to professional football. The Lions had moved from Portsmouth to Detroit, and changed their name, along with their team colors, to Clark's allegedly beloved silver and blue. He played for the Lions until 1938. In that initial 1932 season as a Lion, he led the team to a tie atop the NFL standings. It was decided by the league that this was unacceptable. None of the tiebreakers determined which team was the winner, So they were going to have to play a championship game. The first championship game in the history of the NFL. This game was the beginning of the Detroit Lions fan obsession with believing that this team would just continuously get screwed by the refs. Because in this case, and it may be the only case in which this is actually true, they did. This is the beginning of that fairy tale, that the league has something up to the teeth. You see, fullback Ace Gutowski 
was in the process of returning a kickoff or a touchdown down the sideline. When legendary cheating bastard piece of garbage George Hallis tripped him from the sideline. Somehow the refs missed that call. The guy with the ball got tripped by a coach along the sideline. No call. Coach Potsy Clark, no relation to Dutch, said that he was only playing the rest of the game in protest. And with a level of class still typical of the Chicago Bears and their fans, George Hallis gave Clark the finger and told him he could protest this. Right back at you, George. Bears fans have certainly become exactly like the heroes that they worship. The Lions didn't come out on top of that game due to actual documented cheating by the Chicago Bears, but the game led to numerous changes, including regulations in the sideline behavior of coaches, because the Bears cheated. But the most important of those changes was that the league was split into two divisions for the 1933 season, and the winner of each division would play at the end of the year to determine who was the league champion. We call that the Super Bowl now, after several merges and whatnots, the commercialization, and now it is also the world championship of commercials. Dutch Clark was the United Press, best player in the NFL. That's an word I didn't know had ever existed. Um, for the 1935 and 1936 seasons. Uh, he led the Lions to the 1935 championship, where the Lions defeated the New York Giants in a 26-7 route. It was a cold, snowy day, and there was almost no crowd. Each player was paid $300 for that championship victory. No rings were given. At the time, like I said, professional football was an absolute afterthought. It was secondary to college football and baseball in terms of national interest. Completely different world from the one we live in now. In that 1936 season, Clark, Gutowski, and another man named Ernie Cadell formed the infamous infantry attack backfield that was kind of the best one of the 1930s, according to Wilmotopi. And to give Cadell his due, uh, he was the NFL leader in all-purpose yards, rushing average, and yards per touch in 1935. He was not the third best guy in this group. Uh, he was third in the NFL also with 19 receptions for that powerful 1930s softness. At this time, Detroit was no stranger to championship caliber teams. The city was actually given the moniker the City of Champions for a time. The Tigers had won the 1935 World Series. The Red Wings won the 35-36 Stanley Cup. And the Lions won the 1935 championship. For six months, the city of Detroit held all three major professional sporting championships. And Detroit's Joe Lewis was also the heavyweight champion. But I digress. And I am definitely going to do that a lot on these daily shows. So just get used to it. Dutch took over as the team's head coach for his final two seasons in the NFL, 1937 and 38. And 
1940, he was named by the Associated Press as the outstanding football player of the 1930s. He continued coaching football until the mid-1950s. And as I stated previously, he was one of the first members in the first class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Fitting cap to a career which had seen many league firsts. Now, why am I talking about this today when there are actual football things happening? In addition to the incredible amount of wind you can see happening behind me, actually, that doesn't look like much, but before we edit the audio, it, it sounds insane right now. Let's see how this goes. Uh, like, if you want me to lie and tell you that something that's happening in the third preseason game is important to fans or to the future of the team, uh, I, I could do that, but there's a lot of other people who are going to do that. I mean, the most interesting thing about this game is will Julian O'Hara be traded to the Giants before it or after it? I don't know the answer to that question, so I'm not really going to go into depth about discussing it. Now, it is kind of interesting to ask the question of would you rather have edge rusher depth or a fifth round pick next year? Myself, personally, I would venture towards the side of maybe keeping that additional edge rusher and having one less garbage receiver on the roster. Like, you don't have to dress him every week, but if two guys go down with injuries, still being four deep with quality edge rushing is the sort of thing that gets you to super bowls. Like, I don't know why Lions fans are allergic to team depth. They just seem to hate it. The second we have a backup offensive tackle that looks like he might actually be able to play football, we're talking about moving Sewell over to the left and trading Decker as a fan base. And that's lunacy. Pure, abject lunacy to want to get rid of a very good player who wants to be here at one of the NFL's most difficult positions to find replacements. Offensive tackle. But I mean, I can, I can, I can talk about this preseason game a little bit, I guess, if you want me to. Um, Teddy Bridgewater will have had 20 practice reps with the tight end he's throwing to instead of six. Uh, Nate Sudfeld will try and make a case to be on an NFL roster somewhere, whether it's here or elsewhere, until the day Hendon Booker comes off with whatever list they start him on. It's season. Uh, that's it, man. There's just really nothing interesting about the third preseason game at all. Uh, I mean, maybe this is the one where the Lions play the starters, but most teams are not doing that. There will be almost nothing actually worth talking about. A lot of people are still going to talk. Uh, so to this week, today, you get a little bit of a stroll down memory lane. And you're going to get more of those as history is what I studied in college. So it's a thing I'm interested in, whether you are or not. Have a great day. Let's bring it here together. Let's go. Woo! Let's go, baby. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes! <laughs> You've had enough of that shit.